Hello, and welcome to our podcast for college Catholics. I'm your host, Father Patrick Wainwright. Thanks for joining me today. In my opinion, today's topic is really important to help us understand most of the problems and difficulties we suffer in our life. Here's a summary of what we'll be talking about today. God created the world to be a place where Adam and Eve, and all humanity after them and their descendants, could live in peace and harmony with God, with each other, and with the world around them. However, through original sin, Adam disregarded the law of God and rebelled against God. This original sin separated man from God and brought disorder into creation. We will see the different consequences of that sin. And finally, we will look into the promise that God made of sending a Redeemer to save us from that state. One of the most difficult things to explain about our faith and one of the main reasons for people to abandon the Catholic Christian faith is the problem of evil. The looming question, why is there evil in the world? Why do people suffer? Why is there such terrible injustices in society where good people seem to suffer most and evil people seem to get away with their evil and, and enjoy life? How can a good God allow suffering persecution, and death in the world. Also, the big question is, why is there evil within me? Why, as St. Paul later would say, why do I do the evil I don't want and do not do the good that I want? At the basis of any explanation of all these questions or any answer that we want to give, we should always place the historical fact of original sin. That is at the foundation of all the explanations related to this point. The teaching regarding the initial sin of our first parents should be frequently in our minds because it is indeed the reason why we faced most of the problems in our lives. So let us look a little bit at what Scripture tells us about the sin of Adam and Eve, our first parents. And for this, we should look first at the book of Genesis, chapter 3, but also to one of the letters of St. Paul, the letter to the Romans, chapter 5, verse 12. From the book of creation, from the book of Genesis, sorry, we see the story of creation and the story of the fall. And the first chapters of the book of Genesis are historical. So they represent historical events, but they are written a symbolic way. So that is the narrative presents events that actually took place in history with real persons, manifesting real conditions and consequences. However, these people and events and the consequences to which they lead are presented under the guise of a symbolic language. The serpent, the tree of life, the apple, even maybe, who knows, the names of Adam and Eve. But there was a first father and a first mother. There was a temptation, there was Satan tempting, and there was a particular sin and consequences of that sin. And they were our first parents, so the first couple of all humanity. So I encourage you to check episodes of this podcast, right? The episodes 7 and 8, where we speak about how to interpret sacred scripture according to the different genres that are in the Bible, and also how to intertwine it with the teachings of the tradition of the church and the magisterium of the church. So, 
according to those explanations and according to those principles that we saw in those episodes 7 and 8, the narratives of the creation of man and of the fall of original sin, while they are historical and true events, should not be interpreted literally, as meaning that the expressions there are symbolic, but they symbolize, they symbolize real events. So as a conclusion of all those things, it is necessary to have the correct interpretation given by the Catholic Church to understand what we should believe as true from all those narratives. As the Catechism of the Catholic Church put it in number 390, and you can read it for yourself, but this is what it says. The account of the fall in Genesis chapter 3 uses figurative language, but affirms a primeval event, a historical event, a deed that took place at the beginning of history of man. Revelation gives us the certainty of faith that the whole of human history is marked by the original fault freely committed by our first parents. Up to there, the Catechism. God had created the world in harmony and peace. God created man and placed him in the midst of that world in which there was harmony and peace. And this is what we mean, what the church has always taught, that God created humanity in a state of original justice. That is, man was in peace with God, but he also was in peace with other men, with other people, with other human beings. And also he was in peace with creation, with the creation around him. God had given our first parents a nature, human nature, that was perfect within its natural limitations. So it still had limitations, but itself was in perfect order. He also gave them what we call the preternatural gifts. The tradition, the theological tradition of the church has called those gifts preternatural. What are them? They are gifts by which man was not subject to death. He was not being subject to suffering. And he was freedom, uh, he, he had freedom from concupiscence. And concupiscence means, means uh, the lack of a harmony with himself interiorly, with other creatures around him, and with God. So concupiscence is a disorder by which man doesn't have a harmony within himself, with others, with one another, and with God. So man Adam and Eve were free from that concupiscence. And they also had infused knowledge. So they had knowledge of things that we don't know, that we don't have. That was a gift of God to Adam and Eve. Apart from this, God had also given Adam and Eve the gift of his intimate friendship and supernatural grace. So they were in the state of grace with all the infused virtues and all the gifts of the Holy Spirit that come with that supernatural state of grace. So it is at this time that a new person, a new character, enters in the scene, and that is the devil, symbolized by the serpent. Moved by the envy he had against man and against his relationship, and he had envy of man for his relationship with God. So he tries to destroy that relationship between man and God by luring man into sin. So I think it is important to be able to see the narrative of original sin and the strategy that the devil uses to make Adam and Eve fall, because that strategy continues to be more or less the same in every temptation and sin all throughout history. 
the devil is not very original. Once he tempts in a particular way, more or less he always keeps a certain pattern. Although he changes the topics and the subject matter and so forth, more or less it is always more or less the same. So here are some of those characteristics of the temptation and the fall, uh, the temptation of Satan and the fall of Adam and Eve. First of all, Satan lies. He is the father of lies. His intention is not to help anybody. His intention is to deceive. If he ever says the truth or half-truths, he does it in order to deceive. He asks Eve, for example, did God really say you shall not eat from any of the trees in the garden? And when Eve realizes, no, that's not true, and she says that it's not the case, and his lie was exposed, he immediately jumps to another lie or temptation, saying, you certainly will not die. God knows well that when you eat of that fruit, your eyes will be open and you will be like gods who know good and evil. So, first point, Satan lies. Second point, he tries to sow doubt. Doubt, and he tries to ruin the trust and the confidence that there is between man and God and between man and any of the instruments that God uses to guide man, like the church, the priesthood, the good people that we know, our parents, etc. So he tries to sow doubt, making Eve think that there is some malicious intent in God's orders, as though he were saying, don't trust God, trust me instead, the devil. God is not up to any good. When we know, in reality, God had done everything out of pure love for us. Another characteristic of that temptation is that Eve is caught into trying to dialogue with Satan, responding to Satan. She should not have responded. It seems that she tried to outsmart Satan. But we can never outsmart the devil because he has an angelic nature, which is greater and more powerful than ours. Therefore, in temptation, when you are in temptation, you should never dialogue with any temptation of Satan. You should try to push it away immediately. Another characteristic is that the action committed at the devil's recommendation brings disaster. It brings us permanent separation from God. So let us look now at some of the consequences of original sin, of that sin of Adam and Eve. Above all, that sin broke the relationship between God and man. That is, Adam and Eve lost the state of grace, and because of this, no human being could be admitted anymore into the presence of God in heaven. Adam and Eve lost that state of grace, so they could not enter heaven, and their children were conceived also without that state of grace. So this first sin brings also a serious disorder in the whole world. It brings death an inclination to evil. And this state of original sin that is first in the, in the situation of Adam and Eve, they are in the state of sin. Because they're in the state of sin, it passes on from one generation to the next until the end of the world. So, after original sin, the human nature of, of man is wounded. It is weakened in its capacities. Before, there was harmony within the human being and between each other and with God. The passions obeyed the will. The will followed the guidance of reason. 
and reason was illuminated by the guidance of God and grace. However, after sin, all that was turned upside down. The passions rebel against the will. The will rebels against the truth that is presented by the intelligence. And our intelligence, which was oriented by nature to know and define the truth, now experiences a great difficulty in discovering the truth and falls very easily into error. In the same way, our will, which was naturally oriented to embrace what is good and love what is good, now experiences great weakness and tends more easily to sin, to do what is evil and to do what is disordered. Because of this, we say that the human nature has been wounded by original sin. Now note, it is not destroyed. It is not completely corrupted as Luther would have it, as Luther would teach and his followers. If our nature had been corrupted and destroyed, there would be no hope of healing. We would not be able to do any good whatsoever. Never could we do any good action because our nature would be corrupted. However, salvation, therefore, salvation, sorry, would be a wholesale pardoning from God. In order to be saved, he would have to, like, not look at our state because we would be completely corrupted. And he would not be healing us. And therefore, that state of man and complete corruption, even if he were saved by a voluntaristic will of God, there would still be something depressing about that reality, that we would still be always corrupted. So instead, the Catholic theology teaches us that our nature is not corrupted, it is wounded. And therefore, we still need the redemption of Christ to be saved. But there is also hope of being healed in our very nature. There is hope of the possibility of holiness. We can be sanctified. We can be made more like Christ in our nature. There is a way of salvation. There is an, a, a way of sanctification. If you want, all the, the wounds of sin, of sin, of original sin, can be healed little by little with our effort, of course, and above all with the grace of God. And this distinction will be very important and it will have important consequences for our spiritual life and therefore also for many other aspects of the human uh, reality. So I encourage you to remember well, original sin, which is a condition in which we are conceived, does not corrupt our nature completely. It wounds it deeply, of course. It allows for a future healing. It, it allows, therefore, for a, a future healing. And that nature, through the grace of God and through the grace of Jesus Christ, can, little by little, resemble more and more Jesus Christ. If we're docile to God's action, of course. So the sin of Adam and Eve, in some mysterious way, becomes the sin of all their descendants. In Adam, who is, because he is the head of all humanity, in Adam, who sins, we have all sinned as well. And this is why we also suffer the consequences of the sin of Adam and Eve. As St. Paul puts it, writing to the Romans, chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as through one person sin entered the world, and so through sin death, Thus, death came to all, inasmuch as all sinned. Right? So we all sin in Adam and Eve. 
because Adam is the head of the humanity. Adam is the head of all the human race. If he had not sinned, he would have passed on to us a human nature free from sin. However, because he sinned, he passes on to us a nature that carries with it all the consequences of that initial sin. Consequences that we experience every day in our lives and we suffer in some way. So we are all conceived in the state of original sin. Or if you want, we are given a nature that is wounded and separated from God from the beginning. As Psalm 51 verse 7 puts it, Behold, I was born in guilt. In sin my mother conceived me. This is why we feel in us the burden of sin, the inclination to avoid what is hard, the constant weight of ignorance, and the difficulty not only to discover the truth, but to seek holiness as well. In general, we could say it is easier to fall into error and to do what is wrong than to discover the truth and do what is right. And that is that inclination, that wound caused by original sin. This innate, or initial if you want, it comes from birth, this innate tendency to evil is not something that has been put in us by our society, by society around us. It comes from Adam and Eve. It comes through generation. Now, there are philosophies and psychologies today that completely deny the existence of original sin in as much as a state that is passed on to us, right? They think that man is naturally good and perfect. And therefore, they have to explain our inclination to sin by saying that we are taught what is evil by the bad example of those around us. As though I had been conceived in perfect harmony with God, I am born in perfect harmony with God, I grow in perfect harmony in God, with God, and then I start to see people who do what is wrong, and I imitate, and I start to do what is wrong as well. Now this has many negative effects in the human psychology, and even in politics, as we tend to think that purely human means should be enough to correct our evil inclinations because their nature is good of itself, and therefore, with some effort, we can correct any evil inclinations. We, they forget that there's an innate inclination to evil caused by original sin. Another wrong conclusion that comes from this denial of original sin is to think that every instinctive inclination that comes from me is necessarily good, and therefore, should not be opposed, as though Everything that came from me that I could say, well, when I was a child, I had this desire to do this or that, to kill people, I don't know, to do something wrong, to drink and get drunk, whatever. Whatever inclination I had when I was little is good because I'm born, uh, conceived without original sin. And therefore, everything that comes from in me is good, supposedly, right? Uh, it's a wrong conclusion because it's a, there's a denial of original sin. Now, if we realize that there is original sin and we realize that some inclinations in us are not correct, are, are originated in our wounded nature, they're not according to the nature that God gave us and therefore they're not according to the law of God, we will realize that some of those inclinations are not good. They're evil and therefore we have to correct them, reorient them, um, redirect them to Jesus Christ. 
So it is necessary to recognize that we are inclined to evil from conception, as the psalm we read said, Psalm 51, verse 7. We must recognize that we are separated from God from the very first moment of our existence. And this is why it is necessary, it is so important to baptize, child, to baptize children soon after they are born, to allow them the gift of being united to God and His grace, which opens for them the gates of heaven to begin with, but also starts to give them the effects of divine grace and therefore gives them the possibility to start to correct and to reshape their nature to imitate Christ better, to put on Christ, if you want, to leave out or to put off the old man with its sins and its evil inclinations. So it is important to recognize, to baptize children when they are little, right? Especially, of course, with the consent of the parents always. But if the parents consent, if the parents want to, and that's what I'm encouraging everyone, right? When one has children, to try to baptize, baptize them soon so that they receive the treasure of God's presence in them, the indwelling of the Holy Trinity, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the gift of sanctifying grace. And open and baptism also opens for them the, the gates of heaven and erases that uh, guilt of original sin. Now, it is important as well to recognize that we do have evil inclinations, natural feelings, we could say, that do not lead to good and therefore many times must be opposed if we want to live good and virtuous lives and be saved, even if we're baptized, right? For some reason, God wanted it that way, that when we're baptized, we receive all these gifts, but the inclination to evil still remains. And that's what the theology has called the debris of original sin, even if we are baptized. So, and finally, among other things, we should remember that the human sciences and methodologies the human efforts, if you want, to bring peace, will not be enough to bring peace of mind and freedom of spirit to our troubled personalities. But we need to complement those human means with the power of the grace of God, which is granted to us through the sacraments and through prayer. So whenever we have recourse to any human um, science to bring peace to our mind and order to our nature, that is good, of course, if it's uh, reasonable and it's proper psychology or psychiatry and so forth, or counseling. We can use those things, but we must complement those efforts with the grace of God because there's a supernatural grace that can do much more whenever we have already put the human means in place. So, as you can see, as Catholic, we have a very hopeful perspective. You and I can be saved from sin. We can obtain eternal life. We can be healed in Christ. Thanks to, be, thanks to Jesus Christ, the evil of sin does not and will not have the final word. You and I can defeat sin in us and in society. We can effectively avoid the allurements, the temptations of the devil. Jesus Christ is our Savior. He was promised right from the start in the same book of Genesis. God promised a Savior and a Messiah. When he said to the serpent in the book of Genesis chapter 3, 
I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will strike at your head, while you strike at his heel. This is, so to speak, the first announcement of the good news of salvation. The first gospel, the first good news, the promise of a Messiah or Savior to Adam and Eve. Because, as St. John writes in his first letter, chapter 3, verse 8, the Son of God was revealed to destroy the works of the devil. So because of that, the passage that we just read was understood as the first, promised of our, pr- the first promise of our Redeemer for fallen humankind, like a, wh- what they call in Greek proto-evangelium, by the church fathers. So the church has interpreted in those words a first gospel, a first announcement of the coming of a Messiah. St. Irenaeus of Lyon, who lived between 130 and the year 200, in his uh, book Against the Heretics, chapter 5, and followed afterwards by several of our other church fathers, interpreted the verse that we just read of Genesis chapter 3 as referring to Christ and how Christ defeated Satan through his death on the cross. So we have to be grateful to God. We have to give thanks to God who has not left us alone but came down to save us from our own sins. He came to give us new and eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And for this reason we have to give our allegiance to Christ We have to give our hearts to Christ. We have to receive the graces from God through the sacrament of confession, through the sacrament of the Holy Mass and the Holy Eucharist, so that we may receive constantly a healing grace, a healing strength to make us more and more like Christ our Lord. So, that is all for today. Thank you for listening to this episode. Remember to share this episode with your friends to help me get this message out to as many college students as possible. If you want to support this podcast, apart from sharing it with your friends and family, please do leave a review in Apple Podcasts so that others may be encouraged to listen as well. We will see you next episode. May God bless your day.